This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Listen, how about you take your research to the next level with Interactive Brokers' redesigned Fundamentals Explorer. Fundamentals Explorer provides comprehensive worldwide fundamentals data to all IBKR clients at no cost. More than 30,000 companies covered worldwide with 300 plus data points per company and 80 plus sources for news wires and reports. The Fundamentals Explorer lets you dive deep into hundreds of data points covering historical trends and industry comparisons, key ratios, forecasts, ratings, ownership, and more. So you can see the whole picture. It also now includes a securities lending dashboard that provides complimentary and premium security lending analytics. Use daily short sale data on thousands of securities worldwide to generate trade ideas, gauge short settlement, and evaluate your portfolio from a different angle. Find data faster, add depth to your trading analytics, and compare beyond plain numbers. Better research, better decisions. Visit IBKR.com. Member SIPC. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company. From seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. There's a government shutdown looming, but who cares anyway? Well, Moody's does. Rating watch to negative. Inflation holds, markets go vertical. We got a short holiday week's coming up and then into the end of the year. Our guest today, Frank Curzio from Curzio Research. All this and much more on episode number 843 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Welcome to the Disciplined Investor Podcast. We're just just a, a smidge away from Thanksgiving. And as we have noted many times, it is that time of year that markets get all in the Christmas spirit, don't they? We got that discussion with Tom McClellan last week how, you know, we, we have seasonality. That's what we have here. And what is going on right now is a part of that. On top of the fact of all this pent-up demand, the short covering that we saw last week with regard to the uh, move on CPI, which it came down and leveled up pretty nicely. And that was a bit of a surprise for a lot of people. And that had people positioned on the wrong side and realizing that, oh my gosh, you know what? Maybe seasonality is here. We're going to have another year. We're going to get a run into to Thanksgiving. And then that Santa Claus rally that we all love. That's kind of like what's going on right now. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz. Thanks for joining me again. And uh, we have a great guest this week lined up. And what I do when I have this particular guest on is I leave a lot of room because between him and me, we can talk up a storm. You can sit me in front of a microphone, blindfolded with no information. I could probably go for a few hours. He's the same. So what we're going to do is we're going to get to him in a second. Uh, great, great uh, webinars this week. Thank you for everybody who, who joined in. We had an uh, incredible number of people asking a lot of questions. And we do that every once in a while. If you had the uh, opportunity to join me again, uh, hopefully you got a lot out of it. If you did not, well, we'll have another one in the future and we will, um, you know, have, have those opportunities. But if you do want 
a discussion and maybe it's time to think about where you are positioned moving into 2024. Because one of the things we talked about during this particular webinar was, hey, what's in store for 2024? And some of the ideas and things really about what could go right when we all know what's going to go wrong already is, is an incredible driver for the markets right now. As we saw last week, as we saw with just one number that came out, that everybody got all giddy. We saw the KRI index, uh, the KRE, excuse me, the KRE, KRE KR is di uh, different. The KRE, so the, the regional bank index was up like 8% on the day. We saw small caps up 5%. NASDAQ up a couple of percent, S&P up a couple of percent. I mean, we saw banks and we saw energy and we saw utilities and we saw a lot of things do very, very well in an environment where uh, people are really concerned about earnings and me as well. And the outlook for a harder landing, me as well. A concern about we are going to have possibly a recession to 2024 and an earnings recession, me as well. And all these things actually go into a deflationary argument, which is overwhelming and surpassing all the concerns. It is an overriding issue that the Fed will be much kinder, a gentler Fed into 2024, even though they said they're not going to be. So markets are still in the disbelief camp about that. We're going to talk about that with our guest, I mentioned Frank Curzio from Curzio Research is with me. So let me, uh, let, let's set this up and, and, and get this going. So let's bring him on. Let me get this set up. And Frank Curzio, my good friend from Curzio Research, is with us today. And we're talking about just all things, you know, that when we get going, the problem is we, we got to push each other aside to talk. Right, Frank? I think so. Yeah, we just keep <laughs> going and going. And thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show, buddy. I appreciate it. Listen, we've been doing podcasting longer than most have been investing, <laughs> maybe listening. I mean, we started back in the the mid two thousands uh, when 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 people would ask the question, "What's a podcast?" Right? Nobody knew what a podcast was. You were you were first. I think I started a little bit after you, but I, was it 15, 16, 17 years yeah. ago? Maybe. Yeah. Cat, exactly. Insane. So I want to talk about. I have all sorts of notes and things and written down. And you and I talk quite often, and we text back and forth. And you had this great surgery recently that has been uh, a miracle. Uh, second time getting your hip replaced, which is which is a discussion about the 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 healthcare industry, which actually hasn't been doing well except for the weight loss medications, um, but the the entirety of the establishment of what they can do for life enhancement, prolonging, as well as um, just fixes is is pretty amazing these days. But I don't think the healthcare area gets a lot of the accolades it deserves. Do you? Well, it depends how you look at it, right? Because this is my second hip replacement because I played basketball like a maniac and I was definitely, you know, God bless me being fast, but I was really chubby. <laughs> so it was a good combination to play basketball for 30 years. Uh, but, you know, and I made sure I was in good shape going into it. And this second one I just got not long ago, but I would say probably three months now. Mm. And after a month and a half, I'm running around and, and doing whatever I want. And it's remarkable. With that said, the first one, I don't even remember paying anything. And this time around, they're making me pay $8,000 out of pocket. So it depends how you look at the healthcare industry, because that surprised the hell out of me. Uh, we got wow. health insurance at my company, wow. uh, crazy research, but I couldn't believe that number. And also, my daughter had to get something done minor as well. And it's just, it's like two or $3,000 that it wasn't, we've never had to pay out of pocket. That, that yeah, the insurance pocket, industry so. is definitely broken. Let's just get that straight. Oh, it's, they can charge whatever they want because there's no accountability. It's just like, it's like uh, Axon with tasers. I don't know if you know this with Axon, they, they have all the body cams. They control a monopoly, 95% of the market in police stations. They're at a 52 week high. You know why? Because they charge 14 to 17 X of what the cloud is. So one of the largest cloud services because everyone, you know, they have, 
was 800,000 police officers and they're always taping stuff uh, and crimes and criminals and stuff like that. So it's one of the largest files of all cloud. It's all video. It's all video. It's all video. And they charge whatever. Why? And it's going to be as high resolution as possible. Yeah. And the government doesn't care because the government doesn't ask questions like the post office loses money when FedEx and UPS can make a fortune. But when you if you have a business, listen, Al Gore is a genius. Create a business, climate change, get a crap, get get the government to pay for it, and you'll be a billionaire. Because well, do you know who the no accountability? But do you know who the the originator of this, the all time best of all bests involved in that kind of business structure is uh, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. He'll find yeah. a business. I mean, you know, this nice fella. What is he doing? He's got banking. He loves financials. They screw you left and right. He loves the insurance companies. Well, that was the base of what he did, right? They're screwing you left and right. He's got Geico. Berkshire Hathaway owns Geico. Well, it's not that. It's Geico. And if you notice what he did, like, you all think he bought, you know, Coca-Cola and, and Bank of America, you hold it forever, and buy and hold, and this is a strategy. What he did is he bought Geico early on insurance companies, and he leveraged the hell out of them because these are pools of money, and that's what reinsurance companies are. It's insurance on insurance companies, right? So that's why if you look at hedge funds, even General Ray, I think, is – David Einhorns. It's this massive, it's the only business in the world insurance where you have to put the money up front for something that may happen. So they take those pools of money and he was like, this is a massive pool of money that I can leverage. I know I can make much more bigger returns on it. And sometimes I have to pay a little bit here or there, but it's one of the greatest industries ever. It's unbelievable because yeah. first of all, you're scared as hell of not having insurance. You can't drop your insurance. My car insurance is absurd. The rates I just got a renewal is coming up in December. It's absurd. It's I'm, absurd. I'm talking to them and they're like, I know it's crazy. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. It's not just crazy. It's like, who can actually afford this? Yeah, home insurance, flood insurance. I mean, Florida going through the roof right now. It's it's insane. It's insane when insurance companies are what they're charging. It's insane. Yep. But there's no inflation, though. Inflation's good. It's tame now, right? Uh, so there's no inflation. Fine. Prices are coming down. Oh, no. Oh, no, they're not coming down. They're just not going up as much. That's not right. going up. That's much, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's what happened last week. We saw that CPI number come out. And uh, for all intents and purposes, it was a little bit lighter than expectations. It wasn't. Uh, there was some things internally, like food costs came down a bit and, and housing costs came down a little bit. And that was good because everybody's just so pent up and concerned that, that what's happening in other areas around the world, which is a reinvigoration of inflation again, slight, is going to happen here, which it may, by the way. But right now we saw was that there was a lot of offsided bets on CPI coming in hotter or at least at levels with what the Fed had talked about, the hawkish nature of uh, uh, Jerome Powell at his last meeting. And then even though he backed off it a little bit um, for, for a moment, the parade of, of Fed speakers came out and said, no, 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 you know, we probably have to do more. So, so how, do we, how should we take this? It, you know, is, is, are the markets right? Are they, uh, does it matter if they're right or wrong or I don't know? Look, I think this is all about seasonality, right? Yeah, that's I what mean, I think. The seasonality, you have to realize that with money managed, we're talking about trillions of dollars being managed right now, are really behind the curve because uh, their benchmark is not the traditional S&P 500, right? Nobody has that on the NASDAQ as their benchmark. That's the, the benchmark. That's what they have to beat. That's all you care about. If it's down 20%, you're down 18%, you think you're going to get paid. Yep. Right. Yep. So right now it's tough to beat those because they usually say the MSCI World Index, or which is what we use, by the way, for our clients. It's the right one well, to but use. Some, but, but some people use them. Some people don't. But it, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's an index that you want to beat. However, you're looking at six, seven stocks that really I mean, if you look at the average stock in the S&P 500, I think before last week. Uh, we were up, I, I think the average stock was down 6%, right? And that's crazy because S&P 500 w- was up, what, like 12 13% or whatever, it's up 14%. Because it's being led by five, six companies. I mean, Microsoft and, and Apple account for 15% of the S&P 500. Right, right. So right. 
if you don't have those stocks in it in your portfolio, you're underperforming because the Nasdaq's up tremendously as well. So when you're underperforming, you need to generate. It's called alpha, right? Which you know about. Just mm -hmm. explain to everybody. So to generate that alpha, how do you do it? Well, it's no surprise that you've seen small caps pop a lot, right? You need to try to catch up because it's all about your benchmark. If you underperform, you risk your job, you risk your bonus. If you outperform, that's great. And there's a lot of money managed this year because the market's gone up so much, basically for five or six stocks, uh, that it's not easy to beat the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ this year. And you're seeing this extreme levels, which is a great trading opportunity for what you do, right, Andrew? I mean, it, it's- but Right. And what you see a couple months ago before this rally, you know, came in is, you know, we were extreme <clears throat> oversold levels. I mean, extreme oversold levels. So uh, you're going to see these extreme levels back and forth, I think. But I don't think this was a license to go in and, and, and say, OK, I'm bullish and go all into the markets with people I'm hearing. Well, I think what, what the, but what you talk about is the two things that happened. Right. So with, with inflation, uh, let's just say the inflation expectations coming in a little bit, uh, the reality coming in less than expectations, what they did was. It drove the dollar down substantially. It drove yield. I mean, it just took a, a hatchet to yields. That was the green light for financials, right? That also was a green light for commodity trades, like oil, for example, even some of the ag, some of the some of the uh, metals. And what Nickels, that yeah. yeah, what that did was was it, it was all small cap. Small cap is energy, is financials, the regional banks, the KRE. I, I mentioned this at the top. The KRE, uh, on, I think on Tuesday was up close to eight percent. That's the small. Uh, regional bank index, and that that's tremendous. So um, those are the most oversold areas in the market, though, right? That's oh, why far. we're seeing that. That yeah. that's why we saw that that immediate. Hey, you know what? Let's grab that alpha. Maybe we'll have a reversion to a mean. Maybe there'll be a catch up trade that happens here. That's what it seems to me. I mean, look at the bigger picture here, right? Uh, so we're cheering four percent on the core CPI, and let's put that in perspective because four percent is a lot lower than nine nine plus percent it was, right? So, you know, you could cheer. At 4%, if you look back in annual inflation, we've never been above 4%, taken at the last 18 months. We've never been on an annual rate above 4% since 1991. That's how high 4% inflation is. It just doesn't look that high because we were 9% not long ago and 7% and now we're cheering it. So for those thinking the Fed is going to turn around and stop cutting rates, you're out of your mind. We stay, I mean, they're not, I, I don't think they should raise either. Well, that, I think but, they stay put. Right, but there's a lot of talk about I mean, I was watching this week. I remember three or four different commentators, mm -hmm. or as I call the CNBC gang, schmuckalucks, mm -hmm. talking about how they're going to start to reduce rates and their expectation that they're penciling in and even chiseling in into the second half of 2024 are for rate cuts. Yeah, October, November of 2022, they said that we'd be cutting rates in this year, <laughs> in right. June, Remember July, that? August, right. September, exactly. you know, all through this year. And they said inflation is going to be like 1.7% to end this year. And I mean, they just they just keep updating them and pushing out even further. But if the Fed is really serious, one of the biggest things, the biggest mistake in the history of Fed was back in the 80s, right? In the early 80s when they had inflation and they raised rates and then they, they took their foot off the pedal, right? So they're well aware of that because it was such a big mistake. It's documented. We made a mistake. Inflation came back to the market. We're really high compared to the target. Now, what Powell's going to do is he's going to go on TV and say he's hawkish and we still got a long way to go. That's what we've been saying. Believe it or not, the last rate hike was in, what, July? Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a while ago, right? Mm -hmm. So, But yet you would think, wow, with, with all the talk, but that's what he needs to do because – if he says, hey, here's all clear, you go all in, we could see inflation really come back again, and that would be a disaster for the reputation. But I got to say, and you're going to disagree with this, and everyone else in the world is going to disagree with this. All I hear is on CNBC all last week after, you know, we see the CPI number, the Fed meeting came out week before. 
is the Fed should do this. The Fed should do that. The Fed Ugh. should do this. Let me tell you something. The Fed raised rates by 0.25% to 5.3%, the fastest, the fastest rate hike in the history of the Fed, right? Uh, yet, we got inflation down from 9% to 4% without a market crash. We had a little bit of a crash in 2020, but we came back and an economy that, that's pretty okay right now. I mean, so maybe I agree with that. So what's the so problem? quick to yell at the Fed oh. and be like, OK, this is what he should do this because, you know, if you would have gave me that outcome, think about this. Right. Give me a second. Here. This is funny. So if I went to you and we did a podcast in March 2022, right, mm -hmm. and we do an interview together, I asked you, hey, where do you think the market would be, say, today? But I told you that the Fed was about to raise rates from 0 0.25 to 5.5 percent. I told you mortgage rates were more than double. High since 2000. I told you inflation would surge to a new record, right? Be twice as high as normal rate, which it is now. I told you that we would see relatively no growth in earnings or sales in S&P 500 over this time period. Well, if actually I actually a drop, a drop, actually. A drop. If I ask you, where do you think the S&P yeah, 500 I would, say lower. would be? I would say lower. I would say probably 15, 20% lower. Correct. I think it would be an absolute crash. Right. And we're 5% higher on the S&P 500. Bizarre. So if you're thinking about going into the market and going all in, this is by far, and I've been doing this for 30 years now. You've been doing it for a long time, Andrew. I've never seen a more dangerous market than this, only because you could say, well, what about 2000 and the crash? To that? You know, you got out of the market, dot-com crash. If you look at, at the financial crisis, you're like, holy shit, what's going on? And you got out of the market. COVID, you had no idea you got out of the market. You're getting punished for being out of this market. It's forcing people to go into this market. And that's what makes it so dangerous because – we are very expensive in relation to interest rates. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, the Fed's doing everything it can to slow growth, which you don't want to fight the Fed. We've always said that, right? Now it's different. Well, you want to fight the Fed if it. You, no, the saying is you don't want the the, the schmuckalucks say you only you don't want to fight the Fed when they're ra lowering rates. But of course, when they're raising rates, it doesn't mean as much. Exactly as they talk about when gas prices go up, it doesn't matter to the consumer. But when gas prices go down, it's beneficial to the consumer. Yeah, it's beneficial to the consumer. <laughs> yeah. So. so Exactly. So just what I'm saying is 4% in an Apple account, right, or in a bank account, risk-free, go to bed, and you're fine. That is not a bad option. And I'd say that someone who writes financial newsletters as a publishing company, doesn't. it's not my best interest to say that. There's great opportunities, especially in small caps. I, I haven't seen opportunities like this in decades because it's, you know, we saw the Beat pop. Down. I think Beat down. 5% in one day, and people, you know, well, it's short covering. Is it? Small caps are still down twenty five percent from their from their yep. highs in, in, yep. in late two thousand and twenty one. Right. So right. you know, and we're with five, six percent off the highs in S P, right? So there's a disconnect there with valuation where small caps are more undervalued to large caps at any time in the past twenty years going into last week. And the names that I'm seeing are just incredible. It's like wow. I but I, I wanna ask you, I wanna oh. ask you about what's so dangerous about this. But before we do that, just give me a second, okay? Because I want to come back to what's what's the dangerous part. You didn't tell me the dangerous part. You just told me, you know, that maybe high valuations, but, you know, you there's a good opportunity. Hang on to that. Because I want to talk about interactive brokers for a second and ask you as a listener if you're looking for ways to earn extra income. We were just talking about that, right? Well, interactive brokers stock yield enhancement program lets you earn extra income on fully paid shares of stock in your brokerage account. And here's how it works. Interactive brokers lend your shares to traders who pay interest to them to borrow them. And you receive 50% of the income earned. It's that simple. Open an interactive broker's account today and start earning extra income. Learn more at ibkr.com slash S-Y-E-P. Now back to Frank Curzio. <laughs> How was that read, Frank? That was a good read, right? That's awesome. Yeah, you did that really good, man. That was awesome. So what's dangerous? What's so dangerous? 
So here, here's where we have a dangerous market, right? You might say, okay, I want to buy Apple. Okay, you're going to buy Apple right now. Apple is trading at 30 times forward earnings. Now that's, can't look at a PE like just without looking at anything else because that could be really cheap if sure. they're growing earnings sure. exceptionally fast. Okay, so Apple saw its sales decline from $394 billion to $383 billion, and that was from 2022 to 2023, the last 12 months. So this is the current quarter they just reported. Sales declined in a year, okay, the past 12 months. Mm -hmm. Earnings are flat. They're up one penny from like 612 to 613, one penny, okay? Yet, Apple's market cap, again, no earnings, no sales growth, negative sales growth. Its market cap since January 1st has increased by nearly $1 trillion, okay? So- you look at Tesla's earnings. Wait, 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 wait. Let me just go back to the, before you go to Tesla for a second. Mm-hmm. More on Apple. I think there's been seven consecutive quarters of lower revenue. Of lower revenue. But sometimes it's not a bad thing if you're able to generate services. IBM had that problem where they're like, they haven't seen revenue in 10 years. It's because you're getting rid of a, a terrible server business that costs a fortune and you have low margins compared to, you know, I agree you with that. It doesn't revenue, matter. At the end of the day, more money. At the end of the day, it's, it's net, 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 net. doesn't matter if you even earn, their earnings are flat. Exactly. I, that's what my point is. And seeing a lot of holes in a variety of their different business areas. But go ahead. Yes. Go ahead. And so, so you're seeing a market cap that increased by nearly 1 trillion. Are you going to buy Apple? At th- that Apple's an extremely expensive stock. People are buying it because they have to play catch up. It's the leading stocks, 8% of the, S&P 500, you look at Tesla's earnings where margins have crashed. Last year's comparable quarter, they just reported Q3, so 12 months ago, Q3, their earnings went from $1.05 that quarter to $0.66. The stock is up over 90% this year. So you're paying for companies where you're not seeing that earnings growth. And it's very dangerous because you could say, well, we had the economy growing. Well, the first five months, we saw a, a lot of liquidity injected into this market, something that even caught me by surprise. It was China's, the Bank of Japan, it's... uh. The um, you know, the, the different programs for uh, for the United oh, the, States. The, the, I mean, the, just so many. The excess money that was left over from COVID that keeps on giving. And the I mean, the Inflation Reduction Act. You have the right. Chips Act. Like right. all of the like trillions, right, entering mm-hmm. the market. Now you have you don't have that anymore, right? So you have the Fed really sitting there going, okay, we're no longer buying bonds, right? Which adds liquidity to the market, right? They're shrinking their balance sheet, and you have that interest rates are probably going to remain higher for longer. So you don't have like this catalyst where earnings don't matter. Everything you read in textbook doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter as long as the government keeps injecting trillions. You don't have that anymore. So do you really want to buy the five stocks that are really driving this market where even I think Microsoft is trading? Like Microsoft is an all-time high, all-time high. Growing their earnings at least like, you know, where it makes sense. They they have a little bit of something more with their AI thing, which I, you know, which I do. Let's not forget to talk about AI, please. No, and Google as well, doing great on AI as well. So mm-hmm. so you look at those companies, fine, they have those catalysts, right? But do you really, this is what I'm saying is dangerous because it's, do you really want to buy these stocks at these valuations when they don't deserve these huge premiums? I and mean, these are the, some of the largest stocks that are driving the market right now. So that's where we are, where it's incredibly dangerous. I mean, Apple could really decline 20% and still be expensive. From Apple came in to a dollar, excuse me, they came into a uh, let me think for a second. After earnings, they came down to, I think, 169 bucks. They're like somewhere in the 180 plus now. And yeah. everybody knew their earnings were not so good. Almost 190, yeah. You know? It does, it does, that's the thing. That's why. So, it so takes it's a while. Like have these, yeah. Here's the point, Frank. It takes a while sometimes for people to get the knock on the head. You were knocking some heads for a long time. Listen, we all have good and bad calls, okay? One of the calls you had was Disney. That was a good call. You, yeah, no kidding. You didn't, you didn't <laughs> obviously, that's what I'm trying to tell you. It was good. Um, I, I call for the market. I thought the market would come down a lot in the first four or five months of the year. I'm always very honest. I always come in my bad calls. Too. And you're a bad call. You had a bad call in AT&T. Yeah, bad call in AT&T. Disney, though, you would have made a ton of money. Great. On. I mean, that was. Right. Yeah. That made up for it. So here's the thing. Yeah. 
Disney, um, it took a long time for things to play out. That that's that's the point I'm getting here. Whether you're right or wrong is not really the point, uh, which is great. You know, big uh, slap on the back for you. That's great. But it takes a long time. Sometimes when you see the companies, they're masters. These companies at creating a presence that is beneficial for their stock price, whether it be by buybacks or creative accounting or outlook and guidance, leading you with a carrot. Disney had the Disney Plus, the whole streaming shenanigans that they put together and all these numbers that was so bogus that was ridiculous, right? That was that narrative. Very easy to see. I mean, you had 90% of the analysts buy ratings. They all bought into it, and Chapek was lying out his teeth. You know, again, we, we were very aggressive saying this because they were adding so many subscribers. They did exactly what the street wanted. For free. What they wanted for free subscribers. They, yeah, they're adding nothing. them basically, which they're shedding off. They created a new division for their garbage assets, which is the ESPN assets and those hot star assets from India, which is, you know, those subscribers are, are dead in the water. So they created like a new division recently, right? But they just reported earnings and people like, this is the bottom. This, uh, I saw it a lot differently. And I'm always very careful where, you know, say if you're right on so something. So you still don't like Disney, down, huh? Mm. I think they're in a lot of trouble, and I don't think it's factored in. It's still a very expensive stock. I mean, this is a cost-cutting story. This isn't a good yes, story. Right? That's they're not correct. growing at all. That's correct. And it, so this is what I saw. So you saw a company that, that would say they beat earnings. They came in with $0.81 cents, they beat earnings. Well, you know, let, let, let's be real about this, okay? Because let's a quarter of a quarter. Because they beat the analyst estimates that was significantly lower. Because sales, quarter of a quarter, guys, right? Disney's supposed to be getting better. Last quarter, sales fall 5%. Earnings are down 22% from last quarter. But they beat the earnings estimates, so we're all cheering. Uh, again, you should thank those analysts that have the buy ratings on it. Now, Hulu is a big thing because Hulu is no longer growing a subscriber base. Hulu has never generated money. If you want to try to find stats on Hulu, you won't find them. I'm well, you know why? I'm, because, I'm a, because I buy and I use a 30-day free on Hulu, watch mm -hmm. something, and then get a new email on it. But you know what would happen? There wasn't a lot of yeah, there wasn't a lot of competition for live TV. Sure. Now, right. YouTube, uh, which I bought because I have the NFL, they had the carry the NFL package. That's my live TV source. So now there's much more competition. So you have YouTube, you have Prime, Apple, all in on live streaming, especially sports now. So you have these huge secular headwinds, and now they have to purchase this asset for $8 billion more, right, to purchase the rest of it. I think this is a great job by Comcast, the lawyer who put together this job. I mean, Apple should give them like $25 million bonus uh, and hire them because what they did is they put this deal together in 2019 for Comcast, and they actually put a floor valuation on it, which was unbelievable. So now... They're going to have to pay another $8 billion to acquire an asset that's in a secular decline. It's not bad. It's, you're going to constantly see more and more subscribers come off because everybody has live TV, especially mm -hmm. pockets. Uh, you look, they're trying to unload ABC, FX, National Geographic. Did you notice that they were supposed to give an update on that? They were trying to do this for three months. There's no buyers. So obviously Disney believes that these properties are worth more. Well, one more. of the problems you have, Frank, is we went from an over-the-top streaming thing, selective, you know, strip out. Uh, pay for to now all of a sudden streaming is no better and different than TV with commercials. No. And it's, it's like we went right back to where it was and now it's just more difficult to deal with. And this is what's happening with ESPN because ESPN is an absolute disaster for them to come on and say that it wasn't. Here's the deal with ESPN. Okay. Something I follow all my life. I'm into sports, right? All my life. Mm -hmm. So they didn't, they, they try to get partnership offers. No surprise. They didn't get them uh, even for like, you know, deep pocket tech giants, right? Nobody did. Why? Because ESPN numbers have always been inflated because it was part of bundled cable services from cable companies. So even the people who hated sports were paying, they were they were paying, paying for it. Paying right? for it yeah. So now, Everyone's canceling their cable for streaming. We all know that. So that forces ESPN to adopt a direct-to-consumer model, 
right? So now what's tough is Disney's going to need to charge at least 3x the rate of Netflix, right? So it's going to be $45, 50 a month just to break even on ESPN. And that's a network that doesn't have exclusive rights to any of the major professional sports, right? They have Monday Night Football, but it's not exclusive every football game. So how are they going to sell this? And they created a new division to throw ESPN, the hot star assets that people are paying a dollar a month for that was included at $250 million. But I didn't see anything where... What about, you know, raising money here? Uh, they're talking about reinstating the dividend, which is crazy. You have more debt on a balance sheet, $34 trillion in net debt. The Marvel Not trillion. Not bread trillion. and butter. Billion, billion. A billion. Uh, so you're saying trillions, billion. But the Marvel franchise used to be bread and butter, and this one just came out, which is Well, hard. but they, they, they screwed the pooch. All these streamers screwed the pooch. It's like anything else. They came out with this new thing. It's going to be the best thing ever. The old mm -hmm. deal for them was great. Now, was it the greatest for the consumer? From an east, I'm still an old... I still have yeah. cable, straight up cable, straight up. And I love it. Cost me a little bit more, I, but I'm happy. This is the biggest thing with, with Disney. And it, it's very, it's as simple. They can never, ever compete with streaming. That's why they should not be in streaming because they can't compete with streaming. Why? Because their new content doesn't go directly on this platform like Netflix or, or Max with Time Warner. It, their best content comes out in the movies first, right? Is mm -hmm. Marvel and Pixar and all that. And then you get to watch it, you know, the set, but, that's what drives it. You have to pay these their competitors are paying $30 billion for new content. They're not doing that. So their best content comes out in the movie. So they can never really compete here. So then you look at valuation. I'm like, this thing's trading at 21, 22 times forward earnings. Why is it deserve a growth valuation when it's not growing? And so, so they've know, done a lot wrong is the point. Disney has made a lot of missteps is the point. Which not to mention fine. the fact, have you been to the parks lately? Yeah. I heard it has been lines. Been, yeah. And it's expensive. Here's the deal. Really quick, just to sum this up. I don't want to go into too much of Disney and bore people. <laughs> Disney is the greatest company on earth when it comes to storytelling, when it comes to entertainment. We're a world that is dying to be entertained because we watch all this garbage, excuse my language, shit with politics and everything else on TV. And we hate it in social media. They're the greatest storytellers. They're the greatest marketing company. Get back to your original roots. Because right now, I was expecting things to hit bottom and getting answers on these questions, mm -hmm. and selling off some of these assets, and we haven't gotten any answers. And that's why I'm like, wow, they're still going the streaming route. Go back to what you're great at. Open up more parks. Start, you know, movies, telling stories. I mean, it, even the people within the industry don't like this company anymore and working with this company. You got to get back to your roots. The whole world wants it, and you're there. Just just do what you're great at. Yeah, I hear you. Let's uh, We talk about Apple. We talk about Disney. Let's talk about... Um, there was a fact set piece. Yeah, I know you read facts set quite often. There's a fact set piece that, piece that came out. I talked about on last podcast. I had uh, Tom McClellan on and we talked about um, a variety of things. One of the things I focused in on was the biggest analyst takedown from earnings estimates since 2023 for the first month of the quarter. So the first quarter earnings estimates um, are dragged down. They're, they're below. So the, the, the reduction, the, the analyst um, estimate um uh, change, right? So, so the, the movement from where they were to where they are now is mm -hmm. bigger than the 15-year average, the 10-year average, the five-year average. They all took down estimates. And um, again, largest drawdown from uh, 2022, 2020, 2020. So is this a concern? Is our analysts just kind of throwing darts in the wind? They have no idea what to do with all of this that's going on. They can't pinpoint what, what margin should be. Companies are just doing a much better job somehow managing all this excess revenue they have due to the, the higher cost. I mean, what is going on with the fact that we have a situation where margins are really not compressing that much compared to where you thought they would? <clears throat> Maybe well, it's going to happen in the future. I don't know. 
here's what you have to worry about. So when when and McLaren's great, by the way, I love him. That I'm gonna listen to that interview. So when you have the sales estimates, they've been doing this since 2015. I think it's Jeffries. They've been keeping track of the revenue guidance adjustments. Uh, and when you look at sales, that means like how much they're increasing sales, like for next quarter, or how the adjustments going forward when they report and stuff like that. Uh, for this past quarter, it was the lowest it's ever been since they've been tracking data, right? And, and to me, that makes sense because one is, what are you going to do when you have a tough economy, right? We have the Fed that's doing everything it can to slow the economy down, right? And, and you're seeing it. You're seeing it across a lot of different platforms. You're seeing it in different industries. You're even seeing it at Home Depot last week. You're seeing it in housing every place. So you're starting to see slowdown. So what do you do? You cut costs. A lot of companies have been doing that for 18 months in preparation for a recession. And what else could you do? Well, we're selling up current products, but we're raising prices. But now you're seeing inflation come down. They no longer have pricing power. So now you have to start generating sales because you can only cut costs so much before there's no one in Home Depot that could help you at all. And, and you don't even know what you're doing, right? You're the only person in the store. Mm -hmm. So what are they going to do going forward? And predicting that with a Fed that's intent of doing everything they can to force a recession, they're not going to say that, but that's the only way to get inflation to their 2% target is you're going to have to force this in. It's going to happen. Right, could happen mm -hmm. in a okay. couple quarters or right. whatever. So, yeah. And again, it's not the end of the world. Recessions are usual. You know, before the credit crisis, they happen like every six, five, six years. But now, of course, it's like you know, death. They're not allowed. Not allowed. They're not allowed. <laughs> so, you look at these CFOs and CEOs, and and what are you what are you going to do? Think about if you're sitting there and you just you run your business, right? You, you're seeing a slowdown, or you're seeing a lot of your friends like cut back. I'm even cutting back on. Lots of times you go to Starbucks for the kids before we go. I'm like, guys, just let's eat at home instead of just Yeah, I mean, the kids shouldn't have two. Listen, the the kids, your young kids don't need that espresso in the morning anymore, buddy. <laughs> I know, the coffee <laughs> and the extra shot of, uh, yeah, espresso, yeah. <laughs> but how do you forecast in an environment like this where you see, okay, rates are going to be higher for longer. You know, it, 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 there's a lot of uncertainty out there. We're seeing the consumers cut back. Just look at retail companies. Look, look at what Target's saying. Look at what Walmart's saying. They've done a great job in inventory and things like that. Target, not so much, but Walmart and Amazon. But they're saying they're seeing a huge drop off, especially in the mid-tier to lower tier uh, income, right? And that demographic. That's the, that's right? the biggest issue. That, they're that's, spending that's a lot less. Yeah. They're doing great jobs managing inventory and manage to get their earnings up. But, you know, how do you forecast? And you have to be conservative because if you're aggressive and you miss, good luck. You're going to see yeah. a 20% decline in your stock. Everyone's going to leave. So I understand that part. So let's let's switch over to retail for a second here, uh, because you mentioned it. You mentioned, you know, Target, Walmart, uh, Starbucks, all these companies, um, and we're seeing obviously there's there's some technical misses by some of the management and some of the companies, like like a Target, for example. Uh, Walmart recently blamed a <laughs> they blamed this the shortfall in their food sales due to diet drugs, which was bizarre, just bizarre. But there's no way they could track that, by the way. But uh, Nike uh, having a hard time. Right, uh, some some companies out there are doing better than others. What, what what is your thoughts on this? Is it is it the story of dependent on where you are economically and where you shop will be the result we will see in those companies? Because we're seeing Rolex, Petit Philippe watches come down again. We're seeing LVMH uh, have a have a big problem in terms of the earnings. I think they're down you know hundreds of billions of dollars in in, in capitalization rate. We're seeing the slowdown, particularly in Europe, and that's due to China that has been slowing down and not buying. But is it a social, socioeconomic um, reverberation across different horizontal uh, financial ceilings, if you will, that is where there's going to be the biggest problems? 
I like you said that. You said it like you're really, really smart. I just made that up, by the way. I have no idea what, I'm not exactly sure what I just said. Something about a horizontal ceiling, I know that. And socioeconomic. Uh, here's, here's what I think, here's what I think you have to look at. And if we can try to keep it simple, it is the exposure and the management teams, right? So if you look at Nike, Nike's still trading at like 28 times forward earnings. They're down 30% from their highs, right? So expectations are kind of low, but their growth market has always been China and China has been a disaster. It's a lot worse than people. Think. Terrible. They have great context. Yeah. There. It's really, really horrible there, right? So, you know, who has exposure more in the U.S.? Then you look at Walmart. Walmart was incredible because Walmart reported whatever quarter that was, I think it was about a year, maybe six quarters ago. Uh, it was the biggest one-day decline. I think Target went through that as well in, in the comp in like the last 25 years. In one quarter, they managed to to you know, right the ship when it comes to inventory, where it took four quarters for Target and even more quarters for, for Kohl's. Mm -hmm. I think you have to look in this as an individual basis because, you know, you could say a retailer is Lululemon. I mean, Lululemon, I joke around, they can crap in a bottle and sell it for $300. You just ah, have the greatest I bought brand it. ever. I bought the crap. It's delicious. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> but there's not a person that shops there that doesn't love the brand and right. not getting into men's clothes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just there's certain brands that get it done that command the high prices and others you have to watch out for. But, you know, when I see like a VF Corp, which is a, a decent name that was $100 or, you know, you could say it was $9 not too long ago, it's 15 I mean, it had a good week last week. Russell, everything went up, but it's trading at 10 times forward. Earnings. I was in Dillard's the other day. There was eight people on a four-level store. Mm -hmm. There's nobody there. Yeah, in some of these stores. But I could tell you when I look at Kohl's, you look at Kohl's, I see the same thing. However, Kohl's, and when you look on, on a case-by-case -case basis, not so much that their earnings are going to be better and the expectations are low, but Kohl's actually owns their stores. It's the reason why there was three hedge funds, what is it, 18 months, 24 months ago, that were looking to pay double the price right now because they love that. They love the real estate because they leverage it times 10, right? So, mm -hmm. you know. When you're looking at Kohl's, that's something that makes sense. When you look at Kohl's, you're like, wow, this store's That was empty. the old Sears, Kmart, JCPenney, same discussion. They all crapped yeah, out. They all crapped but, out. But, Do you, you remember know, the big story estate. about Kmart, about all the retail that they oh, owned terrible. in the country? Yeah. And that was the play for all those years? If you have yeah. to get to that point, yeah. you got a terrible business. Yeah. And that should not be the selling point. Because I could tell you, if anyone talks about some parts, just sell the stock. Sell it. It means that there's Out. nothing else that they could talk about other than if they sell If they talk it. about well, some of the parts. individual pieces. Right. Yeah. Some of the parts or going concern, <laughs> that's an issue. Or if they harp on TAM, total addressable market, run yeah. for the hills. Yeah, run for the hills. Because they're going to get a tiny. Yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. But someone that looks at that, you look at that total addressable markets are so funny because you're going to yeah. just, I don't know. Yeah, those, those are just words. Two things I want to talk about and finish up with. You want to take, are we going to take uh, AI first or are we going to take uh, lithium fields in Arkansas for 100, Jack? <laughs> uh, either one. You can go AI if you want. Go AI. AI. So AI is, uh, you know, what do you call it? Machine learning, large language models, generative AI, blah, 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 right? You know, sophisticated and uh, intelligent uh, silicon beings. What is the real hype and what is the differentiator from company to company? Let me just ask you this in this way. I think in this industry, we have right now the picks and shovels and then the gold. Picks and shovels being an NVIDIA, maybe an AMD to a degree, Dell, right? Uh, cloud service providers like Microsoft, Google, uh, Amazon, right? I wouldn't put those in the same class. Though. You wouldn't? No, I wouldn't put them in the same class. I think they're different because you have software providers. I mean, you could say they're nuts and bolts, but you have the clear leader that's a pure AI play is 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 uh, yeah, NVIDIA. And if you're looking at NVIDIA and you're looking – like the last couple of quarters, I've never seen that. That's the highest beat I've ever seen. Like, I think Unbelievable. It's the record, the high, right. Two in a row. But if you look at where the numbers are now, 
they're trading at a cheaper valuation and growing much, much faster than Microsoft, Apple, all those companies. So if you're thinking about having an AI play, this isn't just a, it's, it's, it's even, you could argue it's a value play because earnings have gone up that much. I mean, mm -hmm. it's incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a pure play. That's the one that everyone's going to. They, they carry huge market share. They're going to benefit. The other ones are software plays. And what you're going to realize is AI is, uh, someone's covered trends all my life. It, 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 Things that are the most disruptive is it makes it cheaper for everyone, makes it easier, and it's good for all parties. Okay, like Airbnb, if you're looking at, at Uber, right? That's why EVs aren't really scaling because it's not easier, right? You got to charge a car. There's a market for it, but it's not going to, you know, be this everyone's going to change. When I look at AI, what's the benefit to consumers? You think you're getting a benefit because you can go on an AI platform and type something in. And that's really cool. What they're doing is they they unleash that to everyone. This way, they have hundreds of millions of people typing in everything and making this learn a billion times faster. Right? They they, they, they got Brilliant. they got they got AI uh, programming slaves. Brilliant. Yeah. So now you have all these. So now you might, but really, this is something that benefits corporations tremendously because now it has the ability to take over. Say, if you have. I used to work at street.com. I can't tell you how many people were getting paid anywhere from 50 to 70,000 to write generic articles. Apple went up today. It's this and get a quote from someone. AI could write all this and do all this by itself. It could write copy by itself. It could write stories. It could provide entertainment. It could provide ideas, which means you're going to increase productivity while covering your, like cutting your labor costs. That's why it's massive. That's, that's the, the goal. That's the, that's the, the holy grail. Of the companies is how do we increase earnings? Uh, by lowering our costs and increasing productivity, right? And that's what it does for these big companies. Uh, I wouldn't fear it and say, oh my God, it's the end of the world. I think that that's a way for some of the big guys to control it even more because, you know, this isn't an open source world. These guys control you. They own everything. If you don't think so, try saying something that you love Trump on YouTube and watch what happens. <laughs> uh, you're gone. Everything that you've ever posted on that site is gone, right? So, you know, with, with AI, there's not a lot of pure plays what scares me a little bit in terms of the investor angle is Microsoft came out at this quarter, quarter before and said that they're not really going to see anything meaningful from AI for a while. And yeah. that's someone that's incorporating to 365. Even Google is ahead of the curve too. I think they're going to be one of the big winners. They're not going to see the revenue from it for a while. So if you're looking at pure plays, I think, you know, C3.ai, but that's down tremendously, right? I mean, you look at it, it's not mm -hmm. it was 50 and it's 30. Uh, you have to be careful in this world because everybody's going to say they have AI capabilities and a lot of them don't. And it's going to be very difficult to make money off this, at least over the next 12 months. If Microsoft can't do it. Microsoft is different. Billion? Microsoft different. They, they could put a small, this is a replay of the note clip dude, Clippy. Remember the mm -hmm. Clippy dude in, in Microsoft Word and all that? That would try to fill out things and get things. This is a smart version of that in their co-pilot that will do a lot of tasks work for you, you know, like a task rabbit, but, but a lot more than that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not leaving it just as that, but it will help people. You know, you could say, Hey, do me a favor, uh, take the table there and, uh, find, find some uh, trends in, 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 in the information, uh, pivot table, the data for me for outputable, uh, working, uh, uh, paper, and then make a few charts so I can take a look at what is happening internally with sales from the South Southern region of my company, you know, you could, you know something like that. And this may be able to do that for you. Yeah. That's data analytics too, right? I it mean, is, but AI it's, is basically able to using all the data analytics and all the data to actually predict what's going to happen in the future, right? So that's right, but, but that's but again, garbage in, garbage out, and uh, predicting models are mm -hmm. based on what on what what Microsoft has. You may have to do it on your own. Is it really going to be AI artificial intelligence, or is it going to be more good of question. a processor assistant? Yeah, that's the question, and that, that that's a good question. But it's in my industry where people write newsletters, and and you know, again. 
we don't get paid by companies. I don't get paid by companies. Get paid by the work. Right? So, yeah. So basically, the, <laughs> he's seeing so many newsletters come out and say, well, we're AI keep billing. We have AI. Do, to, listen, a lot of it, they're full of shit because there's not a lot of names yeah, out there of course. that are that have an AI presence or that, you know, maybe there's three or four. Most of the AI names are private companies and they've gotten bought. And even another one just got bought, I think, by Airbnb recently last week. So those names, they're better off being private and they get a huge premium and, and get investors in them. But publicly traded companies and trying to get, you know, I mean, it, it's NVIDIA, you know, Google, Microsoft, uh, C3AI is one, you know, software and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But still, it's going to be a while before you see meaningful, meaningful revenue. But there's not a lot of plays in this industry, even though everyone says everyone's and, doing AI. Right. And there's a difference between AR and RLI. See, AI, those companies that are writing newsletters and all that based on AI are just regurgitation of facts from and theory from times before that may line up right. But Frank Curzio, Curzio Research, RLI, Real Life Intelligence. Yes. That's I Frank like that Curzio. Too. You can I go over like to Curzio that. Research, by the way, and find out all the good stuff that he has to offer. We'll have links on the show notes of episode number 843 over on thedisciplinedinvestor.com because he'll give you some freebies. He gets you in the list. He'll talk to you about what's going on. You'll see if you like what he does and all that. One of the things that he does a lot of, he talks about things like gold and uh, materials and uh, even probably looking at diamonds and things like that. But I want to talk about this one story. This one story that was um, out last week or the week, I think it was last week, uh, about Exxon. And Exxon bought a lithium field in Arkansas. And what was interesting is they're going to be starting to produce this and be trying to become one of the the, the, the biggest lithium producers, which is, goes into batteries for EVs, of course. I think by 2030 it is. So not too, too far off, maybe, you know, six, six or years or so off from here. And they bought this, you know, huge mass of land in Arkansas and all that. Um, so I guess the question I have to ask you is, is this something of a diversifier for them? Or I'll give you one piece of information, then you can answer the question. That the lithium battery was actually invented by a research scientist at Exxon in the 1970s. Hmm. But they ultimately didn't pursue that technology. So yeah, they didn't pursue uranium either. They were all biggest uranium producers in America before we basically outlawed it. So. Right. So maybe is this one Exxon trying to diversify, realizing that the the um, you know the, the traditional oil gas uh, footprint is really going to be a problem, or is it their way of doing this to essentially crush it? Uh, I don't know about crushing it. I mean, you're looking at, at you know, the total market for this, the total entire market, if they control it, I think it's something like 50 billion. So, I mean, that's well, they generate that, I think, in, in you know, it profits in two, two quarters, right? So so they're an oil company, they're great at that, but getting into lithium makes a lot of sense for them. And and one thing I know about Exxon that, that I've, you know, studied them for a very long time, for decades, is they don't care about next year. They don't care about two, three years. They care about, even when it, when it went to shale, they were late to shale, then they started buying. Now they're one of the largest shale producers. Very, very late, like Pioneer, EOG, all these companies excel tremendously in shale areas in the United States, and they were late to the party. Uh, lithium makes sense. I could see it being 5%, maybe 10%, and a growth component to them maybe 10 years from now. But remember, and, you know, Exxon knows this better than everybody, but even gold companies, uh, it's one thing to buy a lithium mine. It's another thing to develop it, uh, and even all kinds of mines. And oil is a lot easier. Uh, shale, you know exactly where the oil is. That's why they all hit on nearly 100% when it comes to fracking in the Permian because it's been drilled for 70, 80 years. And that's why you can't do it in other places that haven't been drilled, like in Poland. Uh, but you know, when you're drilling for this stuff, the time it takes to drill and get it to production is 10 years mm. minimum right. uh, and billions in cost, which Exxon could afford. So this is a long-term thing. I wouldn't look at this as a catalyst by any means. This is 
you know, I think the biggest catalyst for them is offshore drilling, which is on fire, that particular area of the market. You don't have to deal with politics. It's on fire. The, the technology is amazing. The price that used to be $80, now it's like 50 to 60 uh, and about offshore companies, uh, tech FMC, FTI is a name that I really like in the industry. And even, uh, you know, some of the, the biggest, uh, you know, Transocean too, that's a stock that moved nicely and pulled back a little bit with oil. I think that's a really good name too. Cause that's that been a crappy industry. It's on yep. fire now. Yep. Good stuff. Well, we're going to end it right there. Frank Curzio, by the way, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Anything exciting? You going, you cooking, you going exciting. out, what are you doing? My family and I are going to the Dominican Republic for the week. DR. Yeah. I love that. You can do a little diving and swimming. What are you gonna do? Diving, swimming, all kinds of excursions. So wow. yeah, in the week, love that the nice presidential suite and hanging out. We're going to really uh, go all out and have suite. a lot of fun, which we need because we haven't gone away in about two years, and all of us have been really beautiful, busy, so beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Have a lot of fun with the family. What That's about you? Uh, I'm, uh, you know, my wife says, well, "Is 23 people coming?" I'm like, "Uh huh." She goes, "You're cooking. They want you to cook." I'm like, "Uh uh huh." So I got to make uh, making a pickle brined uh, smoked turkey breast. I'm making a oh, bourbon God. barrel Texas style 16 hour brisket. And you're loving that. Yeah, I'm making a truffle, black garlic truffle mashed potato and a cornbread sausage green chili stuffing. What's Just, your biggest social media platform? Is it Twitter? Because, guys, you got to follow No, it's not Twitter. It's, 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 of course, my dad bought food blog on Instagram. <laughs> that's my Instagram, dad bought food blog. No, it is Twitter. It's Twitter. It's Twitter. Yeah, that's great. We had a great time. Cool. I sent you those pictures of Guatemala. We got the fish. We got the fish from Guatemala. We're eating, too. I love those pictures. Keep sending them. <laughs> Keep sending them, and I promise time. we're going to get together soon. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. Again, thank you, Frank Curzio. Uh, you can go over to CurzioResearch.com, check out all the things he has. Of course, his great podcast as well. He's got all sorts of video, all sorts of content, all sorts of information, learning, education, and some tips and pointers and all that that you'll find over on Curzio Research as well. I encourage you to go over there uh, often and listen to Wall Street Unplugged, which is Frank Curzio's wonderful podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week, and every week I'll see you again real soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.